Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is the is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, December 9th, and uh, this week we're talking all about dividends. Our article of the week is uh, Cutting the Dividend Now Will Increase Kinder Morgan's Value. Uh, this is an, an author I know and really respect uh, myself. It's an article I published on Seeking Alpha on Monday. Uh, so, Chris, before you jump in, I just want to set the stage for any kind of listeners who don't know what's going on with Kinder Morgan or maybe don't follow it. So, Kinder Morgan's a giant energy infrastructure company. Uh, I'm going to simplify a little bit, but basically most of their value comes from owning oil and gas pipelines that kind of takes oil or natural gas from where it's produced to kind of where it's uh, used. And because of this, they're paid on usage. So, you know, a barrel of oil flows through their pipes. They get paid a penny or something for the oil. And that allows them to be a very consistent business, right? If oil is 60 or 100, they still get paid the penny for oil going through their uh, pipelines. And that consistency makes them, uh, they throw off a lot of cash flow. And they traditionally have been kind of what a dividend growth investor would love. They pay a very consistent and rising dividend. Now, because oil prices have come down so far, uh, their share prices come down as people worry, you know, maybe as much oil isn't going to go through their system. And the company was faced with a choice. Uh, We don't generate enough cash flow to both pay for all of our growth projects that we want to do, all the new pipelines we want to build, and pay a rising dividend. Uh, Investors have panicked over this. And uh, just yesterday, the company announced that they were going to cut their dividend next year so that they could maintain a secure investment-grade credit rating and pay for all of this growth capex. So, uh, Chris, I, I guess my first question is, you know, why... What do you think of dividends? Let's start there. Well, I'll answer your question, but to start off with, I would like to back up. So your assignment was to scour the world for the most interesting (laughs) article you could find for something that really kind of deeply penetrated, uh, for something truly astute, and you came back with your own. This is kind of like when Dick Cheney was given the job of running the transition team in 2000, he had to pick a vice president. He looked far and wide and said, you know, I himself. found somebody. But, uh, so it's kind of the big chain of uh, midstream uh, uh, oil and gas. Um, but uh, it was a wonderful article, an important article. Uh, we have long followed Kinder Morgan. And uh, uh, as it turned out, they listened to you. Uh, and they were quick about it. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, if they listened to uh, me, but they did the right uh, thing uh, for their shareholders. Uh, but uh, uh, So I think that that was uh, marvelous. Uh, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Dividends. Yeah, Uh, uh... Yeah, so I I think a lot of shareholders and a lot of Kinder Morgan shareholders have traditionally said Kinder Morgan pays a $2 per share dividend per year. This is a free $2. This is free money. Why is a dividend not free money? It's often treated as if it's kind of the allowance. There's this amorphous parent figure and then they give you some money and pat you on the head and you go about your way. Um, But it's not your allowance. Uh, The right way to think about owning a stock is that you own part of a business. You're the proprietor. uh, You own the assets. Uh, If it has earnings, those are your earnings. If there's cash flow, that's your cash flow. 
Uh, and so my analogy for dividends has always been it's the ATM machine. Uh, you should take out the amount that doesn't have a better, higher use, uh, but no more. It, sh it should be optimized so that you have uh, 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 the best use of that money. Uh, if I could quote uh, you for a moment, um, uh, managers should make the choice that will maximize the after-tax risk-adjusted returns for shareholders. I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I got a lower back tattoo, I think that that would be a candidate. Uh, uh, that is, is exactly the case, and so dividends need to fit within that. Uh, exactly. So I, the argument, and I say I think, but I know because I wrote the argument, the article. The argument is uh, management should do whatever makes the most sense for their company. And Kinder Morgan is actually a very nice business. They can invest uh, in pipelines at 10, 15, 20% returns. And the argument is, if you pay a dividend, then your shareholder should be able to invest that dividend at a higher rate than what you can invest in. So they should cut the dividend because if they don't, they're going to have to pass up 15% return projects, which no shareholder can go realize on their own. If you send me back money and I ship it off to Bank of America, I think they're giving me 10 basis points yep. a year or something. Yeah, and I think that's another nice way of looking at it. Uh, a dividend is not a free stream of money. It, it is the returns. It, it's The profit a business generates is what they use to pay out a dividend. So in many ways, it should be looked at as the kind of interest on a bank account, though I'd rather the company reinvest it into the business and grow that interest than just pay it out to me, assuming they can do so profitably. Uh, so we, we've kind of bashed on dividends a little bit so far. What do you think... Why do you like dividends? What, what is positive about dividends? When do you look to invest in a company with dividends? Uh, well, uh, they're not stealing that money from you. Yep. So uh, if you know, I kind of have zero is my reasonably likely downside in a lot of scenarios, and I am suspicious uh, by nature. Uh, uh, I'm especially uh, peculiarly uh, suspicious of managements that uh, are operators, but in terms of asset allocation, their asset allocation perfectly coincides with their own operations. <laughs> uh, so that, uh, you know, everybody I've ever met in the gold industry denominates uh, wealth in terms of gold that they have or might find. Everybody in oil and gas denominates wealth in terms of uh, oil that they have or might find, uh, and they suspect that they're the best people to find it. Uh, so uh, I am fine with enthusiasms amongst operators. I rather like it. I'm glad they're interested in their own pursuits. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you and I are asset allocators, and uh, uh, humbly, I prefer that you or I uh, uh, get to do it uh, rather than operators. So it imposes a certain discipline. Exactly. It imposes a discipline. Uh, I, I think the, the right way for management teams to think about it is if they if they have a lot of growth opportunities within their industry that will realize an attractive return, they should absolutely spend that money. If not, they should take the cash flow their business generates and ship it out to uh, shareholders the same way you thought about it, what you would do if you owned 100% of the company. There's also a tax arbitrage in that uh, while it is uh, less efficient than buybacks, typically, mm -hmm. uh, it is more efficient than having an underutilized balance sheet. Yes. We have in our tax code, uh, for a number of reasons, a huge uh, bias in favor of leverage. And so as long as that bias exists, we might as well yep. uh, play the game. So uh, 
I think what you mean there is companies to return capital, they can either choose to pay out a dividend. So you mail each and every one of your shareholders a check. Or you can go and buy back your buy back your shares. So you can go say, "Hey, right now our shares are valued in the market at twenty dollars. We'll buy shares at twenty dollars. We cash some of our shareholders out, but for the remaining owners, uh, it'll actually increase their ownership in the business. And that's actually more tax efficient because capital gains aren't taxed till you actually sell those shares, while dividends are taxed the moment you get them. Exactly. So, so in theory. Buybacks would almost always be optimal. In practice, the advantage is deeply cut into by the fact that corporate managers are durably horrendous timers of buybacks. Yes. They, they have all of the horrible pathologies that every other type of investor has of uh, enthusiastically buying high with vigor and then kind of stopping as soon as their prices are low. You know, and it's funny you say that. So... Uh, corporate managers are terrible at buybacks. In general, you'll see like buybacks peak kind of in 2007, right before the 2008 share, the 2008 crash, when all buybacks stop, and it actually would have been the greatest time in history to buy back. In many ways, Kinder Morgan shows this with shareholders. Right, shareholders six months, nine months ago were desperate to buy new equity, so give Kinder Morgan new cash at forty or forty-five dollars a share because they thought a two-dollar per share dividend was never ending. But now shareholders are desperate to sell their shares of Kinder Morgan at $15 a share because they think a dividend will no longer be paid. So in many ways, it is the reverse, but it's interesting. Uh, yeah, so Chris, I, a lot of people were interested in Kinder Morgan for the dividend yield. I think a lot. it's uh, traditionally been retirees are really interested in dividend yield. What is a maybe better way for uh, retirees to realize income if dividends aren't bulletproof? Well, I think that the best way is for the economic decisions to be based on total return. I mean, there's a couple different ways to think about it, uh, but uh, I think that the best mental model is kind of the 19th century proprietor, Mm -hmm. the Mellons or the Warburgs uh, sitting in their back office waiting for an opportunity, and they're simply the people, they're the owners, they're the people who own uh, the cash flow as well as the dividends, uh, and they're the people who are maximizing after-tax value. Uh, dividends are a part of that, an important part of that. Uh, but when you think about asset allocation, you are maximizing after-tax wealth. When you think about the convenience of the payoff structure, which not only is that a different topic, a subsidiary topic, but it frequently is a countervailing topic because, of course, you have more counterparties who want themselves to have the very convenient payoff structure and want to give you the kind of awkward uh, one that either involves uh, panic or some ignored security. Uh, and that you, uh, your primary concern is maximizing value. Your secondary concern in terms of managing your own payoff structure, if you need a few more percent, just sell a few percent of what you own. Exactly. So I think Berkshire Hathaway is a great example. Every year... Uh, someone will come to Berkshire and say, Warren Buffett, you, your share price is $200,000 per share and you're worth $50 billion. Why don't you pay me a dividend? Like, I want a dividend. And his answer is always, 
Well, it's more tax efficient for me to keep that money at Berkshire and invest it. I can do better than the S&P 500. And if you need some money, instead of me paying you a 2% dividend, why don't you just sell 2% of your shares? It's more tax efficient. You can sell when you want to, and then you can take that money and go. Also, money you can think of as net. I mean, one of the best defenses is a really good offense. Uh, One of my favorite back and forths about investing ever was uh, somebody came to Charlie Chaplin who was actually, at the time, he was a very well-compensated uh, actor and a pretty good investor. And uh, at a time when the market was very expensive, he was all in, uh, in, in, in T-bills. And somebody said, well, um, but that, that doesn't pay very well. And he said, well, it depends how many you own. Uh, and, uh, so, so doing well in terms of total return and having, uh, uh, and having the money that results from that, you can always deal with the payoff structure separately. Forcing the world to comply to what you want, uh, I find is uh, unsettling and, uh, and and rather stupid to expect that the world gives you what you want because you want it. You know, so it, it's very interesting you say that. So in the past uh, two years, in this kind of low interest rate for longer environment we've been in, people have demanded yield, right? They wanted companies that paid them dividends. And uh, so things that pay dividends were created. And, and for our investor, for our listeners who don't know, the, these things were kind of like Kinder Morgan. They were called yield co's. And what they were is they were these big companies that were structured with a dividend, very safe assets that threw out a lot of cash flow. And they promised that that dividend would kind of grow 20% per year. And all of them have blown up recently because you can't compound things at 20% per year. And uh, they were structured. There are a lot of other issues, but they were structured poorly. They relied on unsustainable, uh, unsustainable assumptions. And I think the answer is: if you really demand the world fit what you need, you will get it. But it can end in tears, right? Uh, I think if you took a total return approach and only invest in things that were undervalued and then slowly sell your shares over time, you would have done much better. And it would have been much safer. A dividend gives the illusion of safety. Exactly. It's the equivalent of what in uh, modern uh, uh, campuses the millennials call safe spaces. It's kind of to say, (laughs) I I demand that the world complies to what I want and hides all the things that I don't. It doesn't affect reality at all. It just affects your own ability to comprehend it. Exactly. Uh, there, there is no safety in investing. A dividend gives the illusion of safety, and I think uh, it does so temporarily. And then when stuff kind of hits the fan, you find out that you've actually taken on way more risk than you would have through investing normally. Uh, so, Chris, we, we've covered the Kinder Morgan. We've covered tax efficiency of dividends. Is there any other thoughts you have on the topic? I think we've got about 30 seconds a minute left. For 30 seconds, I don't think I have a 30-second thought in my head right now. I I would just end with this, though, that uh, the illusion of stability is not safety. Uh, There's a lot of things that if you just linearly extrapolate from very recent data points, you can uh, uh, give yourself comfort because uh, it kind of looks flat, but that is not what safety is. And investing safety is underpaying which is a different topic than looking stable based on the recent data points. Yep, recent data. So the illusion of safety is so alluring, but in general, when you do something on recent, the illusion of safety, you either go on recent data points and you take all sorts of unknown risks, or you're actually investing kind of in a Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, right? He gave the illusion of safety from consistent returns, but there's just nothing in investing that has consistent, retur- consistent returns. The problem with giving 
giving otherwise reasonable people the appearance of stability is that investing is a parimutuel game. Yep. There's a counterparty. And if you're playing a game of chicken and you want to be safe, drink a fifth of Jack Daniels, rip off the steering wheel, and visibly throw it out and hit the accelerator, and you will be the safest person to ever play chicken. Okay, well, uh, so we started with dividend investing, and we ended with Chris arguing for driving after a fifth of Jack and ripping the steering wheel out. So I think we will end it there. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. If you like this podcast, please uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, or if you already subscribe, please recommend it to a friend who you think would like it. If you have any commentary on the uh, podcast, we'd love to hear it. Critical negative comments can go to Chris, and positive comments can always be directed towards me. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.